I need to be sure that my church is awake and alive and ready to receive what God has for us. So we want to welcome those who are joining us by web stream this morning. Thank you so much. It's always a delight to have you join us. And if you're joining us by Facebook Live, we just want to encourage you to say hello so we know who you are and we can respond and thank you for joining us this morning. Well, we will be concluding today our mini-series uh, that we've had over the last, I guess, several weeks with all that has been going on uh, from Psalm, Psalm 91 on the promises of protection. What an amazing psalm. And for the last time, we are going to uh, read this whole psalm together. I trust that some of you have been encouraged to commit it to memory. It can be done. We are to hide God's word in our hearts, and there are times when we just don't have our Bibles with us, but if we have God's word hidden in our hearts, then we can recite what we have there, or at least to have always a mindset that whenever crises or danger strikes, you dial Psalm 911. That's a good thing to remember, huh? Amen. Amen. So uh, if you have your Bibles or if you don't, you could follow along with us as media is going to help us as we will be reading this morning from the New King James Version. Please feel free to read along with me and be blessed as we read the word of the Lord together. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord... He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all of your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. 
I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Father, thank you for this awesome word from your heart to our hearts today. And we pray that by the power of your spirit, you would write this word upon our hearts so that it not only enters into our ears, but it becomes a sacred deposit in our lives. And as we travel this pilgrim pathway, we draw from these precious promises of protection that are ours, and we give you praise for it as your Holy Spirit ministers through us to the honor and the glory of your great name. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. As we've been going through Psalm 91, we've been seeing that these promises are not promises of exemption from problems, exemption from trials, or exemptions from tribulations. But we go with this confidence that whatever comes into our lives is something that our loving Heavenly Father has allowed and has been given permission so that I want you to know today to be encouraged that whatever is going on in your life today, and I know we have problems, and I know we have heartache, and I know sickness at times comes, and trial and tribulation comes into our life. You know, the scripture says, through much tribulation, we must enter into the kingdom of God. Some people have this crazy idea that once they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that it's going to be a bed of roses. Well, it will only be a bed of roses, and roses have thorns, you know, is when Jesus is carrying you, and he's walking beside you, and he's whispering in your ear that you are the apple of my eye, and I love you, and I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. So let's have a confident assurance today, and especially I'm speaking to those of you who have walked into this church with a heavy heart. Know today that because you love God and are called according to his purpose, that all things are working together. That's God's promise in Romans 8, 28. All things are working together for good. Doesn't feel good, but God says it's working together for good because you love me and you are called according to my purpose. And as we live this life and we encounter these hardships and these difficulties, we can live with the same confident expectation that the Apostle Paul had and this persuasion that he wrote about in Romans 8. This is such a great passage of Scripture that we should hide in our hearts because we go through life and these problems hit us one right after another, but we can say with the Apostle Paul that I am convinced that nothing can separate me from God's love, neither death nor life, 
nor angels, nor demons, neither fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us. Who is us? Those who know God, those who dwell beneath the shadow of his wings, these shall never be separated from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because we're sheltered beneath the shadow. So what can tear us away from that when God says no man shall pluck them out of my hands? But while all that is going on around us, what does the word of God say is happening? You just observe with your eyes. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes. Ha ha. I know we're, we've come through and are still going through this Corona pandemic. And sadly, we know that it has taken countless lives. Many of us personally have had those that we knew. I know I had a very dear cousin that is no longer with us because of COVID. I had a very close personal friend who was a colleague at Cardone Industries. He was so dear and precious to my heart as a brother in Christ, Ken Mullen. But he is no longer with us. But God, as we said last week, if we die, we still win because to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And we are no longer bound by sickness. We are no longer in this earth with all of its pain and all of its trial and tribulation. We've been translated and promoted to glory. That is nothing to sorrow after. And I know we do sorrow because we're human and it hurts when we lose those that we love. But we have a confident assurance that because we are in Christ, we are more than conquerors. And if we don't catch COVID, he protected us. If we do catch COVID, he is with us as Kathy and I and how he protected us through that trial and we came through and now we have the antibodies and we don't have to worry about COVID anymore. Even without the vaccine. Ah. But this plague is still with us. That's the reality. And I know that there are those that still have worries and have fears and have concerns and they're constantly monitoring the statistics. How many more cases of COVID? But you know, that will only exacerbate your fear. But God's word tells us, do not fear what they fear. The people in the world can have fear because they don't know God. They have every reason to fear. What resource do they have? 
But those of us who have the Lord and know the Lord, he is our refuge, as we learned in Psalm 91. In times of trouble, we run into him and we are made safe. There is no reason to fear. Fear has torment, but God's perfect love that washes over us casts out all fear. And so as Peter says, do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened because when God is part of the equation, everything changes. And I love the way Charles Spurgeon put it. He who is spirit can protect us from evil spirits. Oh, we evil spirits. Oh, I don't want to have anything to do with evil spirits. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And he who is mysterious can rescue you from mysterious dangers and from mysterious diseases like COVID. He who is immortal can redeem us from mortal sickness. We are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. Where's your mindset today? Is it focused on the problem or is it focused on the Lord Jesus Christ who has conquered and he always leads us, the scripture says, in triumphal procession in him. So no matter how bad it gets, we have the promises of God. We are dwelling beneath the shadow of the Almighty. That is a place of protection. Now notice in verses 9 and 10, it underscores once again the truth of verse 1 that we have been underscoring. Why are these promises ours? Because we have made the Lord, who is our refuge, even the Most High, our dwelling place. Psalm 91 is not for everyone. And it's not for everyone that goes to church. It's for those who have decided to establish a permanent residence in God. They don't come to church on Sunday morning and walk out and forget all about him. In fact, they're more enriched in him and now they're going to meditate even more on his goodness. They're going to praise him because they've just been in an atmosphere of worship and they're rejoicing in the Lord and they've heard the word of God and they're speaking that truth again and again to their hearts because they've made the most high their dwelling place. Then no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come nigh your dwelling. Why do we as believers who have established that permanent residence in the secret place of the Most High that brings us under his shadow where no harm or evil can touch us? God's word tells us here's another reason why we do not have to fear because of this promise that we are given angelic protection. When was the last time we really thought about this biblical truth and this promise in God's word? He will command his angels concerning you. Oh, we read stories and guideposts about how that must have been an angel. But if you're a child of God, God has assigned angels to protect you. 
Have you ever been on the highway when something, in fact, it happened to me last week. We were on 295, and there was some construction going on, and I pulled out, and I know I was ahead of one tractor trailer, and this other tractor trailer, I saw both tractor trailers coming into me. And it had to be an angel of the Lord that allowed my car to get out of harm's way. And I thought to myself, that was an accident that was waiting to happen. But God sent his angels. And we're not aware. We live so much with these carnal eyes. God wants to open the eyes of our heart like Elijah prayed for his servant. When the servant went out and saw the Aramean army surrounding he and Elijah, he was terrified. And certainly he should have been. It was just him and Elijah against this whole army of chariots and horses. Because this king of the Arameans got fed up with this prophet Elijah. Every time he had a strategy to win victory over Israel, the Lord revealed it to Elijah. And Elijah went to the king and said, you need to adjust your strategy because this is what your enemy's doing. Well, he got together with his soldiers and he said, I, I'm ready, I'm ready to, to kill somebody because we've got a rat in the house and I want to identify who it is that is telling the enemy all about our secret strategies. And then one of them spoke up and said, no, it's not one of us. It is not one of us, it's the prophet Elijah. I want you to know, O king, that what you say in secret in your bedroom, God is revealing to the man of God. Where is he? Let's find him and kill him. So they heard that he was in Dotham, and they went with all of their chariots and all of their armies because he was sure this was his opportunity to get rid of this enemy once and for all. And so Elijah's servant, alas, my master, what shall we do? Trembling in fear. And the man of God says, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And the servant must be thinking, what are you talking about? I just opened the door and I saw the armies of the enemy surrounding us and we're dead meat. Elijah knew what was going on here and he prayed, God, open his eyes. And when he prayed that prayer, the Bible says that his servant saw the mountains around them filled, filled with horses and chariots of fire in all of the hosts of heaven's armies. Is our God not able to protect us? What did Jesus say? When, when those that were able to, uh, to release him, when he was about to be crucified, Pilate said, don't you know that I could really? Jesus said, I can send for how many legions of angels? Twelve? Hundreds of angels who just at my beck and call would be here to deliver me. Jesus knew about angelic ministration while he walked on the earth. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, the scripture says, and angels came and ministered to him. 
And in Hebrews, we learn that angels are ministering spirits that are sent for those who are the redeemed of the Lord. This morning, I want us to get excited about angels. I want us to get excited to know that as we go through this life, if we are dwelling in the secret place, if we are under the shadow of the Almighty, yet danger will come our way, but there's angelic activity that is going to push back the darkness, that is holding back the forces of the enemy that would come against us to destroy us. Hear this promise again. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. You know, of course, this is such a familiar passage, isn't it? It was actually the passage that Satan had the audacity to quote to Jesus when he was tempting him. Come on, Jesus. Cast yourself off the pinnacle of the temple because doesn't God's word say that he will, your foot, will not be dashed against the stone because he's going to send angels to pick you up. Isn't Satan so sly? Why did he not quote the other part of that verse? He strangely omitted it, did he not? Because the same word of God in that same passage says you will tread on the lion and the adder. And the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Of course he didn't want to quote that part of the verse because that would just remind him of his utter demise and of God's ultimate victory over him. Because when Jesus came, he came to defeat all the works of the devil. And he said to his disciples this promise, Behold, I give you the power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing, what? Nothing, nothing shall be able to hurt you. Do we know today that the devil is a liar? Do we know today that when he whispers in our ear, that when that trial and that test comes, oh, this is going to be my undoing. I just can't deal with this. I'm going under. You're listening to the voice of the enemy. Let's get God's word in our heart and say, God, I thank you that you've given me power over the voice and the strategy and the power of the enemy. Because the word of God tells us that when Jesus died on the cross and by that death and his resurrection, what did he do? Paul says in Colossians, he disarmed principalities and powers. He stripped them. Disarm means they don't have any weapons anymore. I know the devil could growl, but he doesn't have any teeth to bite. He has been stripped. All he has is noise. We need to stand in the victory that is ours. And Jesus made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over the powers of darkness through the cross. No surprise, it was prophesied from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3 when God told Satan that he, Jesus, will crush your head. I know that you're going to strike his heel, but he's going to crush your head. When your head is crushed, you're gone because your head controls everything that you do and say. 
Satan is powerless if we are in Christ. We don't have the strength in ourselves to withstand the attacks of the enemy. But as we stand in Christ, that's why Paul says you are more than conquerors. And in that passage that we read this morning, he talks about demons and darkness and hell itself can never separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And here is a fourth reason why we need never fear. We have the assurance of Satan's utter and complete defeat. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? Satan is defeated. The only thing that is not defeated, God says, is death, and that's the last foe that will be defeated. But we have no fear in death because Jesus said, those who die in me shall live forever. We think that when we go to a funeral of a, a saint of God that we're going to observe death. No, we're going to celebrate life. They've left this, this trashy world and now they've, they've been translated into glory, into a place of victory and peace and joy in the presence of God. I think most of us know that our dear sister Ada is battling cancer and she says, Pastor, if God wants me to live, he's going to have me live. But if he wants me to dance with him in glory, I am more than ready to go and be with him. That's the victory of the children of God. I love the words of Bill Johnson. Jesus said, all power has been given to me in heaven and earth. Wrap your mind around that. Jesus said that all power not just 90% of the power. All power has been given to me in heaven and earth. And he says, if he has been given all power, then Satan has no power. Write that one down. If my Jesus has all power, Satan has no power. He is under our feet. He has been crushed by Jesus through the cross and the resurrection. And I love these words by Martha Kilpatrick, one of my favorite devotional writers. God is in charge of all things, and he has the last word, and the one who has the last word has all power. So Christian friends, what are your fears today? I just want to encourage you to give them to Jesus. Allow Jesus, our victorious Savior, to dismantle every dark power that seeks to rob you and destroy you. Let the revelation that Satan is a defeated foe and that we are not merely survivors that are making it by the skin of our teeth, but we are more than conquerors. And so just to review quickly, why do we need not fear? Because we have the promise of God's personal protection. Secondly, we have the truth of God's word. Oh, we need the truth of God's word. You start listening to the deception that's in this world, you're going to fall flat on your face. We have the promise of angelic protection and we have the assurance of Satan's utter defeat. Now we want to move down to verse 14, where notice a transition takes place in this part of this wonderful psalm. We're no longer reading the words of the psalmist, but now we are reading the word of God from his own mouth. And he says this to those of us who are his, because I'm going to 
make it personal here. You have set your love upon me. Therefore, I will deliver you. I will set you on high because you have known my name. What is God saying here? He's saying, I see and I know those who've established their residence in the secret place. I know those who are abiding under the shadow of the Almighty, and he sees as he looks into our hearts two things. That first of all, we've set our love upon him. We need to ask all of ourselves that question. I know we glibly say, I love Jesus. And I love him because he first loved me. We quote that verse from 1 John. And that's all true. But have we set our love upon him? Do you see when you set something, you are making a choice. You are establishing a decision in your will whereby you are making an intentional choice to galvanize your focus and the affections of your heart upon the altogether lovely one. When we set ourselves and set the love that we have upon him, then we have a single eye. And we live with two eyes, and that's actually the spiritual reality of most of our lives. We're seeing out of two eyes. And spiritually, we're seeing out of two eyes. When God says, I don't want you to see out of two eyes. Because we're, we're seeing what is in the natural. When God says, no, I've seated you in the heavenly places. You're in another realm. What is happening in the realm of the spirit is the real reality. What is happening in the natural is not the real reality. It's, it's like Elijah and his servant. Through the natural eyes, their reality was, or the servants was, there, there's the army all around us. They're going to capture us. They're going to destroy us. But when you see through the eyes of the Spirit, you see a greater reality. It's God's reality, and God wants to align us with his reality. And in life, so very often, with one eye we love God, but then we see that product I got to have that new iPhone. Not a, not a problem with wanting the new iPhone, but what is that obsession doing? I've got to work more overtime now because I've got to get money, and because you're working more overtime, your time with God has now been hindered or destroyed. Do you, do you follow what's happening here? Do you follow the str subtle strategies of the enemy? He wants to seek to rob us from that love relationship with Jesus. When the only thing that is of any value to God is our love for him. And the word says that we are to love him with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. It's to have a single eye. Not double vision. Not one eye loving Jesus and the other eye loving the world. But loving him with all of our heart because we realize that we have been married to Jesus. We have entered into an indissoluble covenant relation. You know, marriages is a covenant relationship that says, I will love you till death do us part in sickness and in health. 
in wealth or in poverty, I have covenant to love you. God says, if you're going to love me with all of your heart, then I will not tolerate any rivals. God wants all of us. He doesn't want even 99% of us. He wants all of us. He doesn't want any kink in our armor, any crack in our door that will allow the enemy to come in because the enemy has insidious ways of sneaking in and he begins to tear down and dismantle the affections that we have for him, loving him with all of our hearts. It means that our love for God is paramount. Our love for God is our first priority, and there is no one or anything else that will take his place. You know, God always wanted that relationship. He wanted it with Israel, but Israel failed. And of course they failed because they needed the Holy Spirit to come into them to enable them and empower them to love God as God wanted to love God. And God knew, and so he established that the law would be a schoolmaster, as Paul tells us in Galatians, that leads us to Christ. It, it teaches us. It teaches us that we can't lie. And when we lie, we say, uh-oh, I did something wrong. That's against God's commandment. I've dishonored my parents. Oh, that, that, I can't dishonor my parents. That's against God's law. It, it, it teaches us, I can't do this, but God, I, I need you, and I, I need your saving grace. I need what Jesus did for me on the cross. And so God says, I'll send Jesus, so now I could really have a bride, a bride that is without spot, a bride that is without wrinkle, a chaste bride whose heart is wholly dedicated to me. And so I will not tolerate rival lovers. And he commanded us back in Exodus, you shall not worship any other gods. Now in the Old Testament, we know what they were. There were graven image. They, they were carved out. There were statues that they bowed down to. And we say, oh, we don't, we don't do that. But like I just illustrated, there are other things that rob the affection of our hearts away from God. Some of us, that television set may as well be a statue because you keep bowing down to it. Instead of spending time in the Word and in prayer, you're in front of that TV set all day long watching CNN or Fox News. That's only enough to destroy you. God wants us to set our hearts wholly on Him we have idols in our hearts that God will not tolerate. He will not countenance. John Calvin well said, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. I know we don't like the reality of that, but that is what it is because as we go through life, if you are careful enough to think about what is happening during the course of the day, there are so many opportunities and so many choices that we're confronted with that either we're going to love God or we're going to love something other than God that is going to distract us from our devotion to him. John calls it the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. You know why God's this way? Because he is a jealous lover. <laughs> You know, even in the Old Testament, he reminds Israel, 
He says, my name is Jealous. And in uh, Exodus 34, he says, don't worship any other God. I am Jehovah Kanah, the Jealous Lord. That is my name. You know, when we hear the word jealous, we think of the green-eyed monster that uh, Shakespeare speaks of in the play Othello. And we often associate jealousy with envy, but they are not the same. And that's why we hear the expression, they're green with envy, the green-eyed monster. But jealousy and envy are not the same thing. Envy is coveting something, wanting something that doesn't belong to you. But jealousy in God's character is rooted in him who is just, who is holy, and who is pure love. And when that love gets degraded by sharing it with something other than God, that hurts God's heart. And he becomes jealous over us with a jealous love. God's jealousy is an insistence that he will not share his position as our bridegroom or his glory with anyone or anything else. And doesn't he say in Isaiah 42, I am the Lord, that is my name, I will not give my glory to anyone else, nor share my praise with carved idols. If you want to praise God, you better praise him with a whole heart. When we have idolatry in our hearts, and we're saying, even on a Sunday morning, God, I praise you, hallelujah, and we can't wait to be with someone else who's going to give us greater pleasure today than we're having with our bridegroom. Grieves his heart. He's a jealous, jealous God. No, jealousy is so much a part of God's character that this is the second thing he says about those who are his. They know my name. What's his name? He says, my name is Jealous. I know you know all the names of God. He's Jehovah Sidkenu, he's Jehovah Nisi, he's Jehovah Shalom, he, he's all of these Jehovah Jireh. But how about Jehovah Kanah? My name is Jealous. James tells us that he's jealous over us. He's jealous over your heart's affection. He's jealous because he wants you all to himself. Now notice in verse 14, God says, the one who dwells in the secret place of the Most High is the one who knows me, who loves me first and who knows my name. Those who know his name is jealous, love him with their whole heart. And because of this, it causes God to respond with these wonderful promises. And I'm going to close shortly. I will deliver him and I will set him on high. I will deliver him. Yeah, there's going to be troubles. But in the midst of those troubles, I will deliver him. And I'm also going to set him on high. Then God says, when he says, I will set him on high, I believe this first of all means, obviously, that he will place us out of reach of the evil that is coming against us. 
but also when he says, I will set him on high, it's not just lifting us above the storm with an external deliverance, but it's inwardly he's revealing to us that you're living in this earth, but you're not of this earth. I've seated you with me. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And that same promise, I love this, that God promises in the Psalms. He will set us up on high. Jesus promised the same thing in the New Testament. He says, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. I think that's being set up on high. Is there a higher place? Is that a place that we desire to be? As we overcome in this life, as we establish hearts that are solely and wholly given to him with all of our affection, he says, I'm going to honor you and I'm going to seat you together with me on my throne. And then verse 15, God continues to just Say it again. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. I'll deliver him and honor him. Notice, first of all, the blessing of answer prayer. I will answer him. How often do we ask others to pray for us? They never really pray for us. I know we all get caught in that, don't we? Oh, I'm so sorry to hear about that. I'll, I'll be praying for you. And just that quickly, we forget and they fail us, and they let us down, and they disappoint us. But God says, you're the apple of my eye. Call unto me in the day of trouble, and I will hear you, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things. That's his promise. If God said it, I could stake my life on it because he promised. And if you're a little discouraged because there's been some delay in God's answer, and, and let me remind you, that God really does always answer. It's either yes, no, or wait. And we don't like when he says wait because we, we want it now and we want the yes. We certainly want to hear no, but maybe God in grace is saying wait because my answer right now is no, but if you wait and you respond to what I'm trying to teach you and show you, then it'll be a yes. And that's so much better, isn't it? Then secondly, we have the blessing of his presence. I will be with him in trouble. Can we ask for a better companion as we walk this pilgrim pathway? That he is a friend who sticks closer than any brother who promised I will never leave you and never forsake you. I was thinking of that old, old hymn. If Jesus goes with me, I'll go anywhere. Because where he goes, it's heaven to me. Wherever I might be, if he is there, that's the kind of relationship he wants us to have with him. Thirdly, the blessing of his protection. I will deliver him. When we are confronted by trouble, what does the scripture say? There are many afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Some? All. How many? How many? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Anything that is an affliction in your life today, God says, I will deliver you. Maybe it's not going to happen today. Maybe it's not going to happen tomorrow. But as long as he is my God, his promise is he will deliver me out of them all. 
And even if I'm sick on my deathbed, my deliverance will be him bringing me to glory where I'm healed and whole forever and ever. And that brings us to this thing of promotion. He who dwells, he, the blessing of his promotion, I will honor him because those who dwell in the secret place of the most, most high certainly will live a blessed life. They are assured in Psalm 23, goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your, how many days of your life? All the days of your life. I love the Passion Translation. Goodness and mercy will chase you down the street. Have you ever been chased? Well, God says, if you're dwelling in the secret place and your delight is in me, goodness and mercy is going to pursue you and follow you and chase you down. And you're going to be lavished with all the good things that God wants to pour into your life. And here's the verse that we're all waiting for, I know. The blessing of his prosperity with long life I will satisfy him. And you're going to say right away, well, pastor, then why did so-and-so die at 33 years of age because of COVID? Because long life does not necessarily mean number of years. You know what the Bible speaks of? The Bible speaks of those who died full of days. Do you know what that means? That means that their life was walking in destiny and in purpose and in fulfillment and in joy and in victory and in communion and in fellowship with God. And when God says all of your days were numbered before you were even born, and if I established that at age 33, that would be the time I would take you to myself, I've honored you because you've lived a life full of days. You've accomplished what I've wanted you to accomplish. You fulfilled my purpose. And then we have the blessing of preservation, and I will show him my salvation. You know, saints of God, it ain't over until it's over. And we're walking downcast and despondent and discouraged because of the trials and tribulations that we're going through. But my Bible tells me that what we're going through is not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. And I know that we weep and mourn. Wow, they were taken too soon. They were taken too early. They didn't even get to be into their prime of life. And God took them. But God says, I will show them my salvation because they will see when they get to glory that what they experienced on this earth, even if they've lived to be 100 years old, can't compare to what I have for them who belong to me and who are my children. We should rejoice in that. And so as I close this morning, I want to close with this summary. Because if you've heard nothing that I've said over these past four or five weeks when we've dealt with Psalm 91, this is what Psalm 91 is all about. It's about the abiding life, dwelling in the secret place. We can't give that enough focus because that's, the foundation for everything in this psalm. 
When you get up tomorrow morning, don't think about your job first. Think about him who's going to go with you onto your job. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to bless you. He's going to use you. He's going to anoint you. He's going to bring divine connection. He's going to bring favor. Fill your heart and mind with that. Not on that nasty boss who doesn't like you. But if that's where your mind is, then bless him. Because when you bless him, God's going to bless you. Have a single eye. Do it God's way. Abiding in him. That will produce the assured life. We could go through life regardless of what comes our way without fear. And that will lead us ultimately to this abundant life. A life of victory and peace and a life that promises us eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, we'll, where we will be with him through all of time and eternity. Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Oh God, how